I on 2020 episode 316. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, host of Ion 2020, another day another monday looking at the 2020 election cycle we got through the democratic convention that's right it wrapped up last week and that's a little bit what i'm going to talk about today as well as what is in store for the week ahead with the republican national convention so we'll talk a little bit about that about that as well and uh, then i got a couple other topics i'll be throwing at you as well so Anyway, I appreciate you joining me, like I said, for another week looking at this 2020 election cycle. So let's get into this really quick regarding the Democratic National Convention, which wrapped up last week. As you guys know, I talked about a little bit. Um, It was a snooze fest all around. And for someone that follows politics just enough uh, to put together a podcast about it, I was, you know watching it probably way more than what you guys were. And it seems like way more than what most people in America were watching it as well because the ratings were way down from 2016. If you look at the nightly numbers, they were down like 25% every single night. One of the nights it was down 50%. Uh, I guess Barack Obama, obviously being a great speaker and someone that people in the Democratic Party respect a lot, he was able to garner a few more people when he spoke. I think it was on Wednesday night. And, uh, but it still was not. Oh, and that was the night also that Kamala Harris spoke. Uh, but it still was not the, the same numbers as it was the uh, four years earlier when Hillary Clinton was running. So uh, people are just not really interested in what's going on with politics right now. I'm, I'm assuming that must be the case. I'm assuming that or maybe people are just not excited about Joe Biden. I'm not sure. Or maybe they're just tired of following politics in general because of all the stuff that's been going on this polarization and stuff that's uh, probably playing to what these people want as well uh with all the polarization i've talked about that in the past but i think there was uh there was about 30 million people that watched hillary clinton in 2016 speak and there was 21 million viewers watching joe biden speak uh on thursday night when he spoke so obviously the numbers were down and then also it was uh it was down what was the number? It was um, 21% down from drop from 2016 when Hillary Clinton spoke and 38% uh, drop in Trump's speech from 2016. So obviously there's not a lot of excitement going on with the Democrats right now. There's not a lot of, I, I, I mean, I just imagine with 2020 being what it is, and that's what I'm thinking about, is with 2020 just being this just crazy year that we've had. I think people are probably exhausted right now. People are just looking for anything other than politics to deal with their problems, I would imagine. People probably have anxiety. I mean, there's a lot of people that do have anxiety. There's been a lot of talk about that lately, like suicide rates going up and stuff like that with coronavirus and all of this, just this craziness with something going on. So it's just... um 
It's just insane, really. And the Democratic convention, I mean, let's be honest. It was... What I took from it was... This was the, I guess, the image of America that they were that they were showing, right? And it was kind of, when I think about it, it was disingenuous from an economic standpoint. So they were talking about how we've had the worst economy in the last six months, and that's because of Brock or because of uh, Donald Trump. Joblessness is, has increased exponentially because of Donald Trump. Like, they weren't talking about the coronavirus and the reason why that would be the reason. I mean, everyone knows the reason why the economy tanked in March and April is because of the coronavirus and the shutdowns that occurred because of the coronavirus. Now, let's be honest in our assessment of this, though. If the states had not shut down, people still would have, in general stopped going out, stopped spending, stopped traveling. People have done that on their own. It didn't take the state shutting down to slow down the economy because of COVID-19. Normal, rational people will not get out there or not go out there and wear masks on their own without the state telling them what to do. People will avoid pain. People will avoid getting sick. People avoid situations that will cause them to get sick. The shutdowns on the state level were not Donald Trump's fault. And I think people will be able to see through that. And I'm not offending Donald Trump. I'm not even a supporter of Donald Trump. I'm just saying the, the verbiage that they were using at the national, the democratic national convention the, the way that they were trying to frame it is that that was all Donald Trump's fault. That we live in a country where unemployment is at record levels. The economy is in the, in the bucket. Racism is running rampant around America. And everyone's divided. Now, everyone is divided. So we already know that. Cops on the streets just killing black people left and right. Like, that is the vision of America that they were trying to paint during that convention. And that Donald Trump was not the man for our time. That Donald Trump is the person who caused this stuff and continues to try to divide people. That he's the one that caused all this problem because he just cannot handle the job. And what we need is Joe Biden to come in there and fix it, to bring us back to 2016, bring us back to... that. that that's the picture that they're trying to paint. That we need someone that can handle crisis situations, that could come up with a national policy for coronavirus and getting the economy straight and all that stuff. Like, that is the picture that they're trying to paint. Now, the Democrats in general, the ones that I've spoken to, they believe that. They agree with that. But I don't think it spoke to the Republicans who they're trying to bring over to their side. Now, there are a lot of Republicans that are like mainstream Republicans that have said, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. They featured a lot of them during their convention as well. Not that anyone really watched it. They might have watched the headline speakers, but that I think that's about it. But, yeah, so that's the... 
picture that they were painting of just this grim future that we'll have if we have Donald Trump in office. And kind of a, we just need stability. We just need Joe Biden to bring back America's greatness or the, the America's respect on the world stage and all that stuff like that is the picture that they're pinning. Will that speak to the independents in the middle? The people that are wishy-washy, the people that will kind of decide the vote, right? Because you're going to have 20 million Democrats get out there and vote. You'll have 20 million Republicans get out there and vote. But there's like 40, or like, there's like 80 million people in the middle that will vote that are neither Republican nor Democrat. Those 80 million people or so are the ones that they need to get out to the polls to vote for their guy. Because there's going to be 120 million people or so that will vote in the election. Maybe 150 million or 130 million or something. But it'll be around 120 million people that'll vote. 130 million I think is closer to the actual number that will vote. So they need to get those independents out there. Is that a message that they that will resonate with them? I... In some ways, I think it might resonate with some of those people. Because a lot of people are just sick of the chaos, whether Donald Trump caused it or not. The perception in my mind sometimes is that there's always news coverage going on about the chaos in Washington, the chaos in the Trump administration, the chaos of this and the chaos of that. So are they believing the news and what the news is saying, what the media is putting out there about Trump and his presidency? Republicans are going to defend him to the dying day. Democrats are going to hate him. But what are those independents? Are they thinking, I just want to return to normalcy? That might be the case. So, and those are the people that are going to really determine the election. Or all those, or, or or are those people so sick of Republican and Democrat politics right now that they might just say, "Screw this! I'm going to vote third party." Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I don't I, like I've said in the past. I'll be voting third party, but I just don't think that this is a third party election. I don't think that. People are so frustrated with the status quo right now, especially the Democrats. Like the Democrats, the ones that might say, hey, I don't like this guy, Joe Biden, so I'm going to vote for a Green Party candidate. I don't think that they will because they just really want to get Donald Trump out of office. And vice versa, the Republicans who are terrified of Joe Biden because he's going to be the candidate who's senile and has Alzheimer's. Like, if people believe that, then we can't have someone that's controlled by the socialist left in charge of our country. And I think that's the picture they're trying to paint of Joe Biden. Did I see that during the convention, though? Did I see that when he was on that stage? I was trying to figure out if this was a live speech or if it was a speech that was done, cut up, and then presented to the people. I tend to think that in this situation, they probably did not do it live. Like, I'm, 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 
I've been trying to find evidence of it, but I didn't really, I haven't seen anything like that. But I tend to think that they probably did not do it live. They pre-recorded it, and then it was thrown out there onto the airwaves because there was no audience in the room. But also, I did hear something that said that there was, like, photographers in the room or something. So, it is possible he did it live. Now, he was clearly, Joe Biden was clearly reading from a teleprompter the entire time. You can tell that. And it was well rehearsed. So, it was there was no off-the-cuff remarks. There was no ab-libbing. There was no... Joe off the teleprompter, it was like, dude, read the teleprompter the entire time. Don't go off on a tangent. I'm sure that was what was told. So what you'll really see, though, is in the interviews that he's going to do over the course of the next several weeks, if he even gets out there, because he hasn't done an interview since July 28th until Friday, which they on um, which yesterday, Sunday night, they released an interview with Joe Biden. So it's going to be hard to tell from these interviews, though, because he's doing it with Kamala Harris. So if he kind of gets choked up or something like that, she'll jump in and start talking. Just like, hey, keep him under control. That Where we're really going to see Joe Biden, the mental capacity that he has is in the debates, if they even have debates. And I'm skeptical of whether... They'll throw him in debates if that was the case. So if they decide to throw him in the debates, that is because they're confident in his mental capacity. That means that Joe Biden doesn't have any challenges with his mental capacity. But that is the picture that they're trying to paint of Joe Biden right now, is that he's off the off in the loony bin, that he has Alzheimer's, that his mental cognition is not there, and... Are we going to trust Joe Biden to run the country? Or are we going to just reelect Donald Trump because he's better than that? That's a really bad thing to run on for the Republicans as well. But we'll see. Now, I did get a... I didn't, I'm recording this show just before they're doing this interview with Joe Biden because I had to get it done earlier in the day. But I did get to... They did release several segments of it. And the one segment that I wanted to talk about today of that interview specifically is they were asking him about shutting down the country again. And they, the, in the interview on ABC, they said, you know, are you going to shut down the country again if the scientists say you should do it? And Joe Biden says, I will do whatever I have to do to save lives. I will do whatever I have to do to save lives. And we've talked about this before. Is that a standard that you should that you should go with anything we have to do to save lives is that in every situation is that a good standard to set anything we have to do to save lives with covid-19 anything we have to do to save lives you can if you extrapolate that into other situations are you going to do whatever it takes to save lives when it comes to drug abuse because you could take that really far at that point, right? Anything it takes to save lives. Okay, so how are we going to end heroin overdoses? Impossible, right? To un- end all heroin overdoses. How do you do it? Make heroin illegal? 
It's already illegal. You can get heroin in a prison cell. In prisons, in the most maximum security prisons, there's heroin. So making it illegal is not the way to end heroin overdoses. So what are we going to do at that point? How much are we willing to invest to end heroin overdoses, right? How much are they willing to spend? How much, if, if it's just to save lives, how far are they willing to take that? Cars, there's car accidents, there's 50,000 or yeah, 50,000, 60,000 deaths, something like that from car accidents every year. If we're going to use that motto, I will do whatever I have to do to save lives, as Joe Biden said. What are we going to do to end car accidents? Are we going to make cars illegal? Then we'll have no car accidents. Then it'll be really hard to get around. It'll destroy the economy. But what do we have to do to save lives? If that's the answer, make a 15 mile per hour speed limit, a 20 mile per hour speed limit. You still might have a few deaths. So how far are you willing to take it? If it says, if you say, I will do whatever I have to do to save lives. You can't use that as your standard, whatever we have to do to save lives. Are we going to shut down the economy again? We've already seen the challenges of shutting down the economy. We have. We've seen people, suicide rates go up. We've seen people with anxiety problems. We've seen wives getting beat. We've seen domestic violence. We've seen shortages in the grocery stores. We will be a poorer nation if the standard is anything we have to do to save lives. That's not the right frame of mind to go at it with. There's a lot we know about this disease already. 85 90%, something like that, of the deaths are people over 65 years old. So attack it from that position. But that's not the answer that they have. Spend most of your resources on the most vulnerable people. But that's not the answer. That's not a, the solution is not anything we have to do to save lives we will do. And that's Joe Biden's solution. If the scientists say we need to shut down the economy, then we will. The scientists are so... like The scientists is not a term you can use because... The scientists, many of them have different opinions on it. Like the scientists is not just one group of people that all agree on everything all the time. There are dissenting opinions. There's, there, there's dissenting views. There's people that have the majority views. There's some people that are way outside of those majority views. Like there's a huge spectrum of of theories and ideas on how to develop and limit the number of deaths from the coronavirus. In Sweden, they have one view. In America, they have one view. In Canada, they have one view. In Australia, they have three cases and they shut down an entire entire country again. In New Zealand, same thing. Like, there's hundreds of different scientific theories on what to do so you can't say if the scientists say which scientists one scientist a hundred scientists a thousand scientists like how many 
And what if 60% say one thing and 40% say the other, and those 60% are wrong about their interpretation of the data? Then what do you do? Like, there's no real solution in that sense. And then I heard someone say on TV today, they said, and it was about, they were talking about school, schools reopening, and they were saying, for now we're left with only bad strategies for opening up the schools because there's no national solution. There's not one national solution. And I was thinking to myself, if you have a thousand different strategies for opening up schools, and the federal government comes in and chooses one of them. That's not the right solution. That is a solution of the thousands. Do you want the federal government to make the national solution based upon their data and then make it go across the entire country? Because if they chose the wrong one and that was the bad strategy, then the entire country suffers. If they choose the right one, then that's great. But having a thousand different strategies at a thousand different public educational systems across the country, a thousand different ones, then they could find out what the best practices are. They can institute those. They can come together and then they could tell, you know, one school district can tell another school district what we're doing and it's working great. Then they move on with that and then people change. Like hundreds of strategies. Hundreds of places of innovation is the best solution, not one national strategy, but that's the thing that they're running with. That gets back to Joe Biden. If the scientists say it, then I'll do it. We don't need a national solution on that thing, but that's what people are trying to say is that we do because Donald Trump isn't leading in that way. He is sort of leaving it to the the states, which... I generally am okay with that. I think that there should be a lot of it left to the states. So anyway, moving on from the Democratic National Convention, we have the Republican National Convention this week, right? Starting them on Monday. They start and then they go through Thursday. Donald Trump is going to make an appearance at all four of the nights, I guess, because he is the leader of the party. He has changed the party from a party that actually gives some sort of lip service to the national debt to a party that doesn't care about it whatsoever. Like he's changed the party to look in his image, which is absolutely crazy. But Hey, you know what? People love the guy that, that are Republicans. So, but anyway, so Republican national convention, they have some themes, which I think is a, a theme that might resonate with a lot of Americans in general. Especially like the really, you know, the older crowd, the uh, over 45, maybe over 50 crowd of a great nation that we live in, the greatness of this nation, the, like it might resonate with them. Keep America great is the theme of Donald Trump's thing. And the first theme that they're going to have is the land of promise. The second theme of, for like one of the nicest, maybe the land of heroes. Third theme is going to be the land of opportunity. And then the fourth theme is going to be the land of greatness, right? And uh, a lot of people, I mean, the, the mythology that's built around America is that this is the land of opportunity, that this is a, a country that started in greatness and got greater and greater over time, you know? And before Donald Trump, and the Republicans, mind, I mean, before Donald Trump, we were losing our way 
We had eight years of Barack Obama, and we were losing our way during that time. But Donald Trump came along and brought this new vision of making America great again, and all of a sudden, boom. That's where we are. That, that, that's the picture that they're trying to paint. Now, I did think it was interesting during the Democratic Convention that they did talk a little bit about America being founded on certain principles and that over time, you know, we did have our weaknesses, we did have slavery, we did not allow women to vote and stuff like that. And over time, we have brought that vision of all men are created equal to being all men really are and women really are created equal. Like they did kind of bring that into their convention a little bit as well. And someone said it was kind of turning its back on the 1619 project in some ways by saying that the nation was not founded in evil and was still evil up until this day, but that it was founded in great ideas that needed to be interpreted over time and fought for over time. And people can look at that. And I do think that's the case. If you say all men are created equal, and then you look over and you see a black slave over there, then that is a direct contradiction to your founding document, you know? All men are created equal, but not women. No, that that's that is definitely a situation where um, it does cause people to change their views, and cha- views have changed over time. I mean, from the beginning of history, people's views have been challenged and changed over time, and we do live in a time now of a group of people that believes that government should be limited and things like that. So anyway, Republican National Convention is this week. I will keep you guys up to date on Thursday about what happened in it. Um, Hopefully... Maybe I'll even put together a Friday episode as well this week just to go over the final night of that convention as well. If there's something that needs to be talked about, I'll do that. But I'll definitely do that show on Thursday uh, for you guys as well. That'll talk about the Tuesday and Wednesday. The Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, I guess. And then go over the Thursday stuff and then move on from there. So I wanted to talk about one last thing real briefly. I did a show about this last year, and it was... um, If you ever read the book 1984... There's a quote in there, and it says, Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. And I wanted to talk about that from a statement that was made. uh, And it's more about the idea of censorship, but it's also about the idea of writing history today that's going to be looked at as history in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And if you look at right now, you could look at that statement that says, who controls the present controls the past. And the reason why that is, is because the press writes the articles and the stories of the present. So think about that. The press in 1860 was writing the stories of the present. So they got to control what we perceive as our past today. 1776, same thing. The press at that time got to control the stories that were out there in order to determine how we're going to perceive those things today. So we perceive World War II, World War I, Vietnam War, 
in a way that was written by the pre- the the press in that present at that time. And now we look back on that. And over time, like a year later, people might perceive it slightly different and articles get written about it then. And over time, you could change the perception that people have of the reasons for certain things. Like, for example, the Civil War initially, it was waged to save the Union. But today, most people look at it as a war that was waged by the North to end slavery, right? But initially, when it was fought, it was to save the Union. And then over time, that debate came out over the next three, four, five years of whether it should be to end slavery. And at the end part of the war, that was the idea, was that, hey, we're going to end slavery also. But the perception that we have of it today is you would never hear someone say it was just to save the Union. It was just to save the Union. That's why Lincoln declared war. So that past that we perceive of it as today is written. Now, let me get into the other example that made me think about this idea. Is the I don't know if you remember, like, a couple of years ago, Charlottesville, and there was, like, the the um, the white nationalists, I guess, that kind of went to Charlottesville. And I don't know if it was specifically white nationalists that went there, but a lot of white nationalists showed up to that thing, as well as, I guess, some Nazi sympathizers or something like that did as well. They showed up to this thing in, in Charlottesville, and that's the perception that we have of it, right? Because one guy ran a car through the crowd, killed a girl, and he was a white nationalist as well. And then there was a huge uproar about this thing at the time. And Donald Trump said something that, and if you, you know exactly what he said, because it's in the news, and it said that there was good people on both sides. There was good people on both sides. And people say that he was praising the white nationalists. But if you read the entire article, if you read the entire statement that Donald Trump says, he was not praising the white nationalists, but that is the perception that we have of that situation today. So that's another situation in which the press is writing the, pre- writing the stories in the present so that it controls the future of the way that we perceive things, right? We need to be aware of that because that is a very subtle thing. The press sort of controls the past by what they write today. And they control the future by what is written today in the way that we perceive it. So uh, it, it kind of makes Orwell's... It, it's, it, I mean, I'm sure this stuff, was, this stuff was happening back in Orwell's day as well. But it's kind of prophetic in some ways. And we've always looked at Orwell in the 1984 book as very prophetic. You know, something that, you know, he was able to perceive a future that we sort of live in now in some ways, you know? We just need to remember that, you know, our memory of the past events is how it was framed at the time it was happening. I mean, that's how we perceive our past right now, is our memory of those events. But if we weren't alive at the time, or we weren't paying attention to the time that it was happening, or we were way before, we perceive it of how others told the story at that time. So we need to get the facts right about certain situations. Like what kind of stuff is happening now? And how is the press framing those stories? You don't hear about the rioters and the looters and a lot of the press only on Fox News, but they're right wing. So you're not going to hear about the rioting and the looting. You're going to hear about the 
all of the um, the protests. The protests are good. Peaceful protesters. All through the, you know, the year 2020, there was peaceful protests. That's what we're going to be talking about in five or ten years. If you ever look at the situation, you know, you know when they crossed that bridge in uh, Alabama? Uh, I can't remember the name of the bridge. I should know it because it, it was just in the news the other day. But when they crossed that bridge in Zelma, in Zelma, Alabama, they crossed that bridge. And uh, you see pictures of people being beaten in the streets. That was not the Martin Luther King group that was beaten in the streets. There was actually some violent protests that were going on earlier in the day in the same town. And then those things caused the news media to really react to that situation, which caused them to, to really cover what was going on in Alabama at the time. But now we look at it as, oh, those people that were crossing the bridge. No, those are the peaceful protesters that were crossing the bridge. There were some riots going on in the streets as well during that time. And the police came and put those riots down, whether that was a good thing or not. Obviously, that's a terrible thing because these people are fighting for their freedom. But there was peaceful protests as well as violent protests going on. But we only see the peaceful protests. And we kind of put those two together and say, oh, those peaceful protesters that were crossing the bridge were also beaten. And I'm sure some of them were. I'm sure some of them were. Because you do hear that story of the gentleman, uh, the, the congressman who, who passed away the other day, a couple weeks back, and he was put in jail. And I'm, I'm not sh- I mean, Martin Luther King was put in jail as well. But I think that those were for peaceful protests as well, because Martin Luther King was an adamant supporter of peaceful protesting and trying to get the white Americans who to sympathize with his cause when they can see that there's an injustice going on. And there clearly was an injustice going on at that time. So, uh, But the, the way that it's framed today, the way that we hear about it today, is slightly different than what really happened. Because that's the way that the history was written. And uh, in that situation, you know, maybe it's not really, the details shouldn't be that cure or that important, I guess, in some ways, but in some situations, especially the way things are framed, the press is going to try to manipulate the story slightly because they understand that, that they're controlling the way things are perceived down the road. And I wonder if they've caught onto it even more, especially in the days of the internet. So anyway, that's all I want to talk about. Um, maybe that's a little bit too much inside baseball. I apologize for going off on a tangent on that. I just wanted to bring that up because Orwell was right. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. And that person or that group that controls the past right now and the present right now is clearly the press and who has the most voice in the press. And in some ways, it seems to me like it's the left-wing media. But you know what? They would probably say the same thing about the right wing media as well. I'm not sure. Libertarians, we don't have any media except for the uh, podcast that we're all doing and stuff out there. But hey, check out some other cool uh, libertarian podcasts as well. If you ever listen to the uh, Tom Woods show, that's a great one, as well as uh, the Lions of Liberty. Uh, those are some guys that I really like to listen to as well. Um, and then there's multiple other ones also. Uh, don't just, you know, obviously you're probably not just listening to my podcast as a libertarian look at the 2020 election, unless 
you know, you just really love this thing. But if you do really love this thing, then go ahead and give me a five-star rating review. I don't have enough of those, and I'd love to have more. So I appreciate that. Uh, go ahead also, if you can, uh, on top of the five-star rating review, subscribe to the show. And then check me out on Facebook and on Twitter. You can do that. Follow my page. Follow my Twitter handle. And also, if you ever want to check out the website, you can do that as well. That is iontheempire.com. Uh, the best thing you can do every single Monday and Thursday is listen to the show, though. So come on back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.